everyone to grace. Yeah. These are good times. It's the great season of the year, I think you'll agree. This has always been one of my favorite times of the year. Between Christmas and New Year, it's a great time to reflect, kind of reflect, kind of evaluate what the year has held and to look with anticipation and excitement into the new year. Well, as many of you know, today's message is the last in this Luke series. Over a year ago, believe it or not, we started on a journey through Luke's gospel. And this has been the longest series by far that we have ever done. I heard about one pastor who preached 16 years in the book of Romans. And when he finished, everybody hated the book of Romans, okay? Well, I hope that's not true for you about Luke. Hopefully, we've come to appreciate God's word and, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ far, far more. I appreciate all your positive feedback. I've gotten more emails, uh, text, letters, comments face-to-face about how God has used this series in your lives, and that's always great to hear. But as we wrap up this one, I want to make a quick plug for our next series in the new year. We're starting a new mini-series, just two weekends, that's all, but I think God's going to use it powerfully. We're talking about how we can turn things around in our lives by God's grace. I think there's a situation in everybody's life where we could use that, right? Something. It might be relationally. It might be in your attitude. It might be physically. It might be financially, but there's something we need where we... We have this need where we need to turn things around. I want you to be here for that. I think God is going to use this brief series powerfully as we kick off a wonderful new year, 2019. Somebody stopped me in the lobby recently and asked, Pastor Rex, what do you think God has in store for us in 2019? And I wasn't really sure what he was asking, so as I probed a little bit, it became pretty clear that what he was really asking is, Pastor, do you believe the world's coming to an end? Do you believe Jesus is returning in 2019? And of course, I told him, I don't know. But then I said, and I want to share this with all of you, I do know one thing with absolute certainty about 2019. God wants to bring some positive changes in our lives. That I know With absolute certainty, he wants to change us in positive ways. And so, don't miss that starting next weekend as we talk about how God wants to change us personally in all kinds of ways in 2019. Now, with that said, for today, let's take a brief look at this final passage in Luke's gospel. I'm starting today in chapter 24, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. 
When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now let's pause there for a moment. Imagine what this must have been like for these disciples. They had seen him die. They had seen it with their own eyes in all of its brutality. They knew he was dead. And they also knew that he had definitely been buried in a tomb and a stone rolled over the entrance. It was sealed. And they knew that guards had been posted by Pilate to make sure that the body was secured in the tomb. They knew all of that with absolute certainty, and yet, although their hopes had been crucified and buried with Christ, now, now here he was, standing in their midst. It must have staggered their imagination. Now, why did he ask for something to eat? I find that detail to be a little curious. I think one of the reasons was to prove to them that he wasn't just a ghost, a phantom, a a mere spirit. This was no virtual or ethereal appearance. It was physical. It was material. He was physically eating food. Now, why was that important to establish? Well, it's interesting that the first great heresy that developed against Christianity that began to try to corrupt it from the inside was something called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism taught that material things are evil, taught that Jesus really didn't physically rise from the grave. In fact, he was not even physical at all. He just seemed to be, but he was really only a phantom. And I think Jesus wanted to dispel any doubts from their minds about that. So this detail of him eating something was very important. We read on. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophet's And the Psalms. Now, let me just say about that, those are the three major divisions of the Hebrew Bible. And that's important. What Jesus is saying here is, look, none of it can be thrown away. None of it is unimportant. It's all God's holy word breathed by God. Moses, the Pentateuch. All the prophets, major and minor, and the Psalms represent all what are called the graphe, the writings in the Old Testament. All of it, Jesus is saying here, testifies to me, and that's an important detail. Their faith was to be deeply rooted in Scripture, as we said last week. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures, He told them, this is what is written. In other words, what I'm telling you right now, disciples, is deeply rooted already in scripture that's been written down. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead 
on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, that's about two miles roughly from Jerusalem, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. And thus concludes Luke's gospel. Wow, what a journey this has been. As I said, we started over a year ago in the first chapter, and we've walked all the way through it. Hopefully, we have a much greater appreciation for his miracles, for his teachings, for the way he lived, and hopefully, most of all, for the sacrifice that he made for us at the cross. And hopefully, all of this will cause all of us, after working through a gospel like this, to fall on our knees and say, hallelujah, what a savior. Hopefully, we've all fallen in love with Jesus a little bit more. But in this very last message, and oh, how I prayed over what to do with this. In this very last message, I want to get really personal with you. I always try to do that. But perhaps a little more today than usual. And I want to ask you a question. I think it's the question that disciples must have been asking after all of this was said and done. How shall we then live? In light of all that he's done for us, how then do we go about our lives tomorrow and the next day and the next? And I think this is a particularly pertinent question as we're about to launch into a brand new year with all of its promise and possibilities. And as we ask this question, what are we to do now? I believe Jesus really gave us an answer through what he said to the disciples here in verses 47 and 48. And by the way, there's no projection today. So if you don't have a Bible of your own or a portable device with scripture on it, you're a bit out of luck there. But hopefully you can listen and get this. This is what it says. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And I love this next phrase and I'm going to kind of camp on it today. You are witnesses of these things. Now, if you're a student of scripture, you need to understand that is Luke's version of the Great Commission. We don't know Luke's version very well. We know Matthew's version a lot better. It's the one we usually go to when we talk about the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Does this sound familiar? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always even into the end of the age. That's, by the way, where we get more and better disciples. 
That is our commission. We have no option about that as God's people. We're to go and introduce people to Jesus and then help them grow in that relationship. But the message should be quite clear. If we're asking, okay, now that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, as the Apostles' Creed puts it, which many of us grew up reciting, what are we supposed to be doing now? And Luke makes the answer in his record of Jesus' words crystal clear. You are to be my witnesses. Spirit-empowered witnesses filled with the Holy Spirit witnessing to all that he has done for you. Sometimes when people ask me what my life is about or what I do, this is one of the elevator answers that I get. You know, when you got 20 seconds to answer a question or try to sum something up. I say, my goal is to go to heaven when I die and to take as many people as I can with me. <laughs> and boy, that usually leads to some intriguing conversations. My goal is to go to heaven when I die and to take as many people as I can with me. Now, some people may not like that line. It's not deep enough. And it, that's true. It doesn't speak to Christian character or development. But I still like it because it boils life down to some important elements. God has called us to share his love and his good news with others and to do that with joy, to do it in a contagious fashion. By the way, as I studied this this week, I was struck by something that I had never noticed before. I love it when I hap that happens because I've been a Christian now for so long and I've read the Bible for so long, I really get pumped when I see something I've never seen before. It's a cool experience. And this week, for the first time, maybe you've noticed it, I had not. It's as though Luke's gospel begins with good news of great joy. You remember what Gabriel said? Good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And it ends with great joy. It ends with this, then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Think of that. Joy wraps the whole gospel. It begins with a promise of great joy, and it ends with the realization of great joy in their lives. I think that's a cool feature of Luke's gospel. But Jesus said to them, now your job is to be witnesses of all these things. Let's think about that for a few minutes today. When Jesus said that in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things, I think first of all, he was speaking to the potential, the potential of the harvest that can happen when God's people really are living filled with the Spirit and their joy about Christ and for Christ and from Christ is exuberant. So when you think about 2019, when you look at the crowds of people around you in the capital re region and beyond, do you see the potential of what God can do in their lives? I think that's an important question. Because if we're not thinking about that potential, it's unlikely that we'll ever get in partnership with God in our daily life. 
For instance, think about the apostles, the disciples of Jesus in the Gospels. It seems to me, and this is rather shocking if you've never thought of it, they mostly saw the crowds of people as a hindrance. They pretty much wanted to get rid of them. Think about just a few instances of this. Once there were hungry crowds all around Jesus, and they came to Jesus and said, look, send the crowds away, Lord. It's already late in the day, they're really hungry. We're gonna be stuck here with a bad situation on our hands. Send them away so they can go and get food. And Jesus said, you feed them. No, we're gonna do something here. We're gonna feed them. But the disciples saw them as like a nuisance. They didn't see the potential here. And then think about the time when the Canaanite woman came to Jesus and beseeched him, Lord, come and help my daughter. She is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. His disciples said, get rid of this woman. She keeps crying after us, Jesus. But no, Jesus had compassion. He saw the potential here for helping, and he healed her daughter. Or we've studied in Luke's gospel how Parents were bringing little children to Jesus so he could bless them. You remember what the disciples felt about that? They said, no, get out of here. He doesn't have time for you. He's got too many more important things to do. But Jesus was indignant when he saw that. And he said, don't hinder the little children from coming to me. And then think about blind Bartimaeus who cried out after Jesus. And remember, the crowds around, including disciples, rebuked him. He doesn't have time for you. You're a nobody is what they're saying. And Jesus stopped and ministered to blind Bartimaeus. I hope you don't miss my point. Instead of seeing the crowds as a harassment, as a hindrance, Jesus saw them as sheep needing a shepherd, as ripened fields ready for harvest. And he said, disciples, don't stay there yet four months and then comes the harvest. I tell you, the fields are ripe right now for harvest. Question, when you think about 2019, do you ever think about the potential of what God could do through your life in reaching your family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, fellow students, fellow board members, people in your sphere of influence? In 2019, we need to look at the world like Jesus did. Oh, what a difference that would make. Now, I talked to a lot of Christians in my life. And I want to tell you, one of the things that bugs me, and don't get me wrong about that, it's not like I'm super annoyed, but it just bothers me deep inside that Christians sometimes can be so pessimistic. Have you ever heard Christians like this? They're kind of really pessimistic and down. Ah, oh, the world's going to hell. And a handbasket. Oh, pastor, what's happening to our country? Everything's going wrong. Moral values are tanking. Families are falling apart. Christians are ridiculed. The economy is horrible. Negative, negative, negative. Have you read the end of the book? (laughs) 
Have you read the end of God's story and how this all works out? Yeah, some of these things are real. Yeah, there's lots of particular things that are reason for concern. But Christians should always be thinking about the potential of what God wants to do. And as a follower of Jesus, make sure that your trust is not in gold, because that won't sustain you. If you're a Jesus follower, make sure your trust is not in government, because that'll always let you down. Make sure your trust is not even in your family, although you love them dearly. They can betray, they can die, they can go away, and be sure that your hope is not in your own giftedness. Because you will age and eventually this sharpness will begin to wane. Where's your hope? (laughs) Better be in Jesus Christ. So if you find yourself being a little pessimistic, I would urge you to look up. Listen to the words of Jesus today. You are witnesses of these things. Is his resurrection fire In your heart. I read a book sometime back by Julia Dewan. It's called Quitting Church. And it really looks at the mainline denominations, the old historic denominations, and it talks about why the faithful are fleeing these churches in mass numbers. And I want to tell you, it gives shocking statistics about the state of old-time, historic, mainline denominations. And you can read that and get very discouraged. But I'm not discouraged at all. Because every single weekend at Grace, I talk to people in the lobby, and they look me in the eye and say, God is changing my life by his grace. And I know for sure God's amazing work is going on in power. Why is God changing lives? Because his gospel is still the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So let's just do a little wake-up call here at the end of the year. Jesus said to these disciples, you're going to be witnesses of mine, witnesses of my life, witnesses of my resurrection in you. Let's keep doing that, and let's do it with joy and power. And let's keep on being willing to change our styles and manners and methods. Let's not be Christians that get crotchety and stuck. I'm thankful we don't have too much of that at Grace. But man, I have pastor friends that want to kill themselves. And every time I have a conversation with a pastoral friend of mine who's leading in another church, I always come back saying, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, that grace is not like that. Some of you may look at the changes that are happening in the church, in the country, and you may pine for the good old days. You may want to go back in time, but we always need to be willing to embrace the future. I heard about a preacher who was celebrating his 50th wedding anniversary with his wife, and he asked her what she wanted, and she said, oh, I'd just love to be six again. And so sure enough, on the day of their anniversary, he took her to Disney World. They went to the Magic Kingdom and rode all the rides, and they walked and walked and rode ride after ride. And then after that, he took her to McDonald's and got a hamburger, fries, and a Coke. 
And on their 50th anniversary day, after they'd done all that, then they went to an ice cream shop and got ice cream. Both arrived back home exhausted, fell into bed. And he said, how did you like your anniversary? She said, oh, it was nice. But I'm exhausted from all that walking and feeling a little nauseous from all those rides. And my stomach's a bit queasy from that food. He said, I thought you wanted to be six again. She said, a size six again. You can't go back and recapture the thrill of the past. We can't fixate on the past. Our love for Christ should stimulate us to look into 2019 with joy and say, Lord, there's potential here because you're already there and you've got a great plan for my life. We've got to accept appropriate changes as they come, but we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. So the potential is great, but there's a problem here. Jesus said one time, do you remember this passage where he said, the harvest is plentiful, the potential in other words is amazing, but the workers are few. The workers are few. Boy, that would frustrate the owner of a vineyard, wouldn't it? To have these luscious grapes ripening, but not enough people to pick, and they turn rotten and fall to the ground. Although the potential in our world, friends, is staggering for the kingdom of God, the truth is there are a lot of Christians that aren't fully engaged. And so one might say with Jesus that the workers are few. I've heard some statistics, and again, I don't know how accurate these are, but I have read at numerous places that probably only 5% of Christians actually have the privilege of ever really leading someone into a relationship with Christ, about 5%. That means 95% never have that joyous privilege. I find that sad. I have read, and again, I don't know how accurate these statistics are, I have read that 60 to 70% of people who attend churches never, ever get actively engaged in any kind of meaningful service for God. Again, I don't know how accurate those are, but if that's true, I find that incredibly, incredibly sad. And again, I don't know how true the statistics are, but I have read that 90% of professing Christians never have a meaningful conversation with their friends about spiritual things. If there's even a kernel of truth in those statistics, I guess Jesus' statement is right that the workers are few. But I appeal to your heart today, brothers and sisters, as far as I can tell, there are over half a million people in the capital region, right where we live and move and have our being, who currently do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't even make a profession to. They may be gifted people, they may be highly educated, they may have kind hearts, even benevolent spirits, but they don't know that Jesus Christ can forgive their sin, adopt them into his family, and begin to change them from the inside out. I want to be a part of that solution, don't you? I want to be a part of helping introduce them to Jesus Christ 
and then get better acquainted with Christ. That's why we exist. That's why I'm here. That's why this church is on the map. We want God to use us to make more and better disciples. And I just want to be real with you. Even after preaching this good news for over four decades now, that's still what gets me up every day because I believe it. And even after being at one church for over 25 years now, that's still why I'm motivated every day to keep pressing on because I want to go to heaven when I die, but I also want to take as many people as I can with me. Question. If God would grant you one wish, honestly, and you knew he would do it, one wish in this new year, 2019, what would you ask for? Big boat, lavish vacations. Would you ask for your mortgage to be paid off? Boy, that'd be a gift, wouldn't it? Woo. Would you ask for wonderful personal relationships that are flourishing? Good health, those would be wonderful things. Nothing wrong at all with any of those answers or wishes. Those would be awesome. But you know, if we had time to think about it and we knew that God would grant us one wish that we asked for, surely, surely our wish would be for those we know and love to be saved. Right? Honestly, if that's not number one on our list, something is really sick with our souls. Really. If that honestly, after we thought about it and had time, not just the knee-jerk reaction where we were given a flippant answer, but after we had time to think about it, if that's not the number one answer, then we've missed the whole point of why we're here. Jesus has called us to be witnesses of these things. We read it today, and we're to do that with great joy because he is still alive and well. He is still working his work in this world, and he's still using his people. So as we close today, what should we do about all this? We've talked about the potential that's out there as we're witnesses for Christ, we talked about the problem is that so few of us are engaged meaningfully in that endeavor according to the statistics. <laughs> now, if you don't fit in those statistics, God bless you. But if you do, maybe it's time for you to take a new prescription here in 2019. So I'm gonna suggest just a few things that you might do. If you really want to partner with God and be a part of his team in 2019, and I, I sure do, I, I believe that we ought to pray continuously. Jesus said in one place, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth workers into his harvest field. I believe we need to be praying that continuously. It's one of those prayers that I just wear out. God, send out workers to do it continuously. But I would also urge you to pray that very specifically. In other words, name some people. 
As I was praying this morning, I got up early and I was spending, like I usually do, a season of time in prayer, just coming to God, just having some sweet fellowship with the risen Lord today, just letting him fill my heart with joy, because that's what motivates me every day, just living for him. You know what? I felt prompted to start naming some people. (laughs) I named some of you. I did. I said, God, get them. God, work in their lives. I named some people that I know, quite a few actually, in this church. And I said, God, build a fire under them. I know that they know you. I believe they love you. But God, let the joy overflow. Let them be witnesses of these things. And then pray continuously, pray specifically, pray actively. Somebody said we need to put feet to our prayers. In other words, if you're without a job, you don't just pray, oh God, give me a job, and then sit and watch soap operas all afternoon. No, you hit the pavement. You get on the websites, you look for jobs, you search, you keep your eyes open, you knock on doors, you explore the possibilities. Pray continuously, specifically, and actively. That God would use you powerfully in 2019. If God would grant you one wish in 2019, what would it be? Ava Hart was one of the last survivors of the Titanic. And in a television interview shortly before she died, she remembered, and I quote, I saw all the horror of people sinking, and I heard even more the dreadful cries of drowning people. Although 20 lifeboats were launched, most were only partly filled because they left early, and the people didn't think the ship was really sinking. So most of the passengers who remained on the ship ended up struggling in the icy seas before they drowned while those in lifeboats waited a safe distance away. Lifeboat number 14 did row back to the scene after the ship slipped from sight at 2.20 a.m. That one lifeboat chased cries in the darkness, seeking and saving a precious few. But incredibly, no other boat joined in. Most of them were half-filled boats that rowed aimlessly in the night, just listening to the cries of the lost. I'm 58 years old. I pray that if the world as we know it is still standing 20, 30 years from now, that God will give me the health I need to keep preaching and keep ministering and to do all I can do to share his good news. But do you know what my greatest prayer is in this season of my life? Greatest prayer. I promise you this is true. That God would use me to so represent him and so share his good news that many, many thousands of people would come to faith in Jesus. That's my prayer. Oh, I wish some of you would join me in that. That God would use you in your sphere of influence. When I was a 14-year-old teenager, we had a guest preacher come to our little church in Leoma, Tennessee. And it seemed that, it seemed that one of his special emphases, and it caught me off guard, was for anybody who felt God wa- felt that God wanted to use them and God kind of was calling them. That's the way he put it. That God was calling them 
to use their life for his glory and in his service to stand up and step out and make themselves known. I was shocked because I'd known for a whole year that God was calling me. But I was extremely introverted, shy, not very confident 14-year-old. And I just didn't have the courage to let anybody else know or to kind of say to many people publicly what I really believed. But that night when that guest preacher gave that appeal, I stood up, I stepped out in that little church and I walked forward and with tears streaming down my face, I let that little community of people know God's calling me. And I know this is supposed to be my future. I didn't have a clue what that would mean. Not a clue. But wow, did God have an adventure for me. I believe that God is calling some of you in whatever that would look like. I don't have a clue what that might look like. But there have been dozens and dozens and dozens of people who are sat right in the seats you're sitting in today who years ago were minding their own business, going through a fairly ordinary life, and then they felt God's tap on the shoulder. And today, their life is in a whole different level, a whole different trajectory of impact and meaningfulness, all because they were willing to say, here I am, send me. Would that be you today? Would that be you right on the brink of a brand new year, 2019? And if God is calling you today, I pray that you would have the courage to let somebody know. Talk to one of the prayer warriors in the front of the sanctuary where you are. Go and seek out a leader in the church and say, you know what, I don't even know all it means, but I do know that God is nudging me to see the potential of how he could use my life going forward. Father, thank you that Jesus said you are witnesses of these things. Oh, let that light a fire in our hearts. Resurrection fire. Let us keep the main thing the main thing and not get sidetracked by trivia in this life. Let us not spend our one and only precious life playing trivia pursuit with it. But to focus on what's most important, and that is knowing you and making you known to go to heaven when we die, to take as many people as we can with us. (laughs) Oh, that is our number one request, Lord, in 2019 that you would use us as your hands and feet, use us as your people sharing your love with this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me say this quick word to you. Let me say this word to you. If God is nudging you today, if God is just wooing you and calling you, let somebody know. Oh, they're not going to try to put you in a, in a certain path. They're just going to rejoice with you. They're going to celebrate, hey, God has something wonderful in mind.